0: Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, yes, we're back. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Nate Larkin. And
1: uh, and who are you, Aaron? <laughs> Just I'm a, I'm a straight white male, Nate. And that's, that's the point these three weeks.
0: Yeah, here we are. We're in the middle of this uh, three-part series trying to uh, better understand people who are different from us try to understand people who see the world differently from the way we see it
1: so today's installment we have a couple ladies coming on to talk about what male privilege means to them Mm -hmm. and we want to remind listeners that this uh these episodes are not debates uh we are we're not pushing back on people's views we're just trying to hear them that's understand what they are saying yeah and and i believe uh I believe we have a letter that could be a good intro to this. Well, topic. I'm,
0: <laughs> well yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, while, while I'm hunting for that letter, why don't you tell us about the penis principle?
1: Uh, okay. Uh, so there was a point in, in uh, college where I felt like my teachers weren't reading my papers, but possibly just graduate students were doing it. Mm-hmm. So I was at a... Uh, a conservative christian school so i decided to write a paper called the penis principle because i figured that would elicit some response to content yeah it did not there was just grammatical fixes and oh really so so at that point i was certain that no professors were reading my paper but the penis principle is this and it's been really important to me um because i always thought That I was a a very female positive kind of guy, that I treated women uh, the way I would treat anyone else. And then I found out I had a problem. When I pictured God in my mind, I pictured him as a man. Right. Now that is, uh, I've asked well over a hundred people to tell me what they picture when they close their eyes and picture God. uh, I would... Give high 90% have said a man, mm-hmm. usually an older man, usually has a beard. Uh, <clears throat> and and there's a reason for that. Bible gives us uh, male pronouns for God. He is father, yeah. all, all of that. So there's a reason we think that. However, those are just anthropomorphic ways for us to understand God. It does not mean he is a man because the Bible says he's spirit. Right. And this is the important part. Uh, In Genesis, when we're first introduced to the creation of humans in chapter one, it says God created them in his image, both male and female. So the word man in Genesis one is male and female, and both are image bearers. In fact, in the New Testament, Paul talks about this. He says that man was created in the image and glory of God, and woman was made in his glory, but not his image. It doesn't, Paul specifically leaves out the word image when he talks about it, because a woman was not made in the image of man. She was made in the image of God. So we're co-image bearers. Now, here's what I realized in my life, because I saw God as a man, he and I always had something going on that my wife had to come to and through me to understand about God. We both had penises, she didn't, oh. and I realized how much that shaped my my spiritual, my Christian interaction with women that I really did believe I as a man had something to offer that she couldn't experience without me, yeah, and once I realized, oh yeah god, God isn't a man, God isn't a woman, the we are created in his image, and therefore women have as much to teach me about God's image as a woman, stuff that I don't understand, stuff that I don't tap into as a man, as she can also learn from me as a man.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, I remember even as a kid, because this is very cultural too, uh, I would say in the in the world that I grew up in, the church world that I grew up in, uh, most women, I think, accepted that belief that, Somehow men were closer to God or that uh, or that you had to go through a some kind of a male intermediary uh, and I you know I definitely picked that up in my identity. I remember even as a kid uh, being just knocked a little bit sideways when when Jesus uh, you know says over Jerusalem 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 uh, I, you know how often I would have gathered you. Uh, as a hen gathers her chicks beneath her wings. And I went, wait, you know, it's so weird because that was a female image. Right. Uh, Which, and, but, and I think we have to balance that against, so Jesus did teach us to pray to our father, Uh but he also was not bashful about using feminine imagery to describe
1: God. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know what? There are a lot of people out there that have mother wounds, not just father wounds. Yeah. And, and the healing comes from God, the perfect parent, not just the perfect father, but that moms were made in his image as well. Mm. And that's a, that's a huge deal. It's so important. And I know that that's scary for those of us who grew up in, in conservative evangelical Christianity, because that's like, what are we, are we doing the shack thing? Is God a woman now? And the whole point is, no, he's neither. He, He is, he is holy. He is holy, separate and above and beyond those things, but is the best of all that he created. Yeah. All right. That's the penis principle. It was important to me. Maybe it'll be helpful to somebody else. I think I, I treated my wife better when I thought I had something to discover about God in her.
0: Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, um, I got slapped up uh, side of the head by one of our listeners, a good friend of ours, Dan Declan, after uh, the Lynn Sherry uh, episode uh, a couple of months ago man I made a crazy comment during the course. I mean, early on, I was just, I was trying to be nice.
1: Uh, <laughs> just read the letter, Nate.
0: Uh, he wrote it to me. He said, Nate, I got to hand it to you for having the balls to speculate to a woman in this day and age that she would grow up dreaming <laughs> of being a princess or a wife. <laughs> I think Aaron dropped not so subtle hints throughout the remainder of the episode that this was being sexist, but... In case the point was missed, and regardless of whether it was intentional or not, you were being sexist. (laughs) Having grown up in a patriarchal family myself, with a sex addict slash womanizer for a dad who regularly exercised his misogynistic tendencies, either vocal or visual, in everyday conversation, and still does, I've had my fair share of foot-in-the-mouth comments myself, so don't feel too bad. I'm sure it wasn't intentional. However, I married a woman who's quite possibly the opposite of all the values my dad demeans in a woman. She's self-aware, independently minded, successful, and very conscientious of asshole men in the world who never bat an eye to put a woman down. In short, I married a feminist, which is really a term that simply means equal rights between the genders. Well, having met you guys at the Bear Trap Ranch, having listened to your podcast for years, having read your book, and historically being a Samson myself, I know you didn't intend for this comment to have the effect that I'm sure lots of listeners like myself had. So just a friendly admonition from a devoted listener to watch what you say to women, or you'll have my wife, among tons of others, to answer for it.
1: (laughs) I love it. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, there it is. (laughs)
0: Sexist (laughs) Nate. Open mouth, insert foot.
1: (laughs) Well, I I think that is a great introduction to this interview, uh, where we are hoping to hear more of the subtle ways that we say and do things that make women feel less than. So let's get right to it. Let's bring these ladies on after a short break and hear what they have to say here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. choose
0: And we are back in the Pirate Monk podcast. Two guests today. I brought I brought one and Aaron brought one.
1: So we've got uh, two... Ooh, f- it's f- a competition f- now. <laughs> Krista, don't let me down.
2: All right. No pressure on
0: All right. So I brought my daughter, Kristen, who uh, listeners to this podcast met a couple of episodes ago. So Kristen and I are in Tennessee. And yep. uh, uh, who did you bring there, Aaron?
1: I brought my friend Krista, who is a a smart and interesting lady <laughs> that I've known for what? How long has it been now?
3: About 6 years.
1: Wow. There I, you go. I've known my guest for longer.
0: Yeah, you ah,
3: win that contest.
1: Man, one of <laughs> them.
2: They already they're already turning it into a contest. It's already <laughs>
1: So we're excited to have our second uh, installment of two uh, straight white men trying to understand what they do not understand about their whiteness, their straightness, and their manness. So today, we are going to be talking about the male privilege part of this. Now, ladies, here's, here's kind of how this started. Uh, the word privilege has come up a lot in the last few years and uh, it is a word I don't particularly like. It immediately makes me feel defensive and I start thinking of all the ways that uh, I suffer that other people don't and so it becomes Mm -hmm. like a contest in my mind of, okay, is this what we're doing? Who's got it worse Contest. And I realized that in doing that, I don't actually have any idea what the other person is wanting me to understand. So you guys don't have to, uh, I mean, you're both representing an entire gender here. So speaking for yourselves and what you know of other people, I'm just going to throw it out first. What does male privilege mean to you guys or that you know other people mean?
2: Okay. Um, yeah. Sure. Um, well, first of all, I want to thank you for admitting the the defensiveness part. I know that when I when I had to come to terms with my white privilege, I sort of I went through this similar thing of um, yes. uh, sort of putting down that defensiveness and, and realizing that it was about understanding where the other person was coming from. And in order to do that, I had to kind of let go of this idea that of my unique problems and all of that. Um, and so I guess for me, that's it. Like it's, it's basically things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis as females that might be normal to us, obstacles that we encounter that, um, that men don't, um, whether it be how we're treated when we take our car in for an oil change, um, how we're treated at work, uh, pay, Um, even as I believe as parents, I think that the women are expected to carry much more of the load and at the same time, uh, same time, almost, uh, resented for it. So it's kind of this idea, of you know, you, you, you must take care of your children, um, but that's going to interfere with your job. And so it's, it's, it's a really, it's a delicate balance. I think that we're we're really great multitaskers. Um and so we juggle a lot and we and we're taking uh for granted a lot in that sort of juggling. Um and uh, almost made to be a little bit invisible. Um, at least that's how I have felt in the past when it comes to that. I think invisible would be a good word as far as everything that we do on a daily basis to sort of make the world go round, because in my opinion, we kind of (laughs) do.
1: So, yeah. Crystal, what, what do you have to add to that? Defining, um, defining the term for us.
3: Defining male privilege to me means explaining to men the set of circumstances that they never have to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, the ways in which women are vulnerable in ways that men are distinctly not vulnerable. Um, and aligning our lives in a way that is almost a little bit more than just risk management in some places. And it depends on what part of the world you're living in. It's different kind of risk management in America than it would be in say Rwanda. But, um, even from nothing so, else. So tell me tell me
1: a little more about that vulnerability and risk management. I want to, I want to understand what that means specifically.
3: Um, well, if you, I'm going to try and limit my comments to my own personal experience and experience of people that I know personally, rather than uh, making broad generalizations or, or citing data or anything like that. <clears throat> and uh, in my experience in America, risk management as a woman means being constantly aware of your surroundings, being constantly aware of who you're with and how that that man in particular, but you know, how other people around you could potentially harm you. Um, having the simple offhanded comments that may not really mean anything. Um, what's the word malevolent from the person who's giving it, but towards me, it sounds like something that might be threatening just by the sheer fact that I'm a woman and I don't have as much physical strength as the man who's telling me this thing. Uh, for example, I, I, I did kind of a, uh, a group charity run in my neighborhood the other day for a homeless friend of mine. And I was asking for clothes for her son. And there was a person it was on the next door app. And there was a person in my neighborhood on next door who said, I don't have any clothes, but I have something else that I can give. Can I just come to your house? And I was at home alone with my three kids at three o'clock in the afternoon and part of me was like, yes, you know, sure, whatever you can bring. But I had to have this second guessing of this man who wanted to come to my house, who I didn't know who lives in my neighborhood to drop something off, to get to this family. So I have this tension between, you know, I want to assume that this man has the best intentions for me, but I also want to keep myself safe. And that's a question that I don't think a man would have of another man. And it's not a question that I would have of a woman who was coming to my door. Um, and even when he came, and he just handed me a twenty, like here I had twenty bucks, I'm willing to hand it to this homeless person. He finished it off. He finished off the introduction with "Nice to finally meet you." And I had never seen this man before. He lives in my neighborhood, but he finished the introduction with "Nice to finally meet you." And I had to kind of second guess that with "Wait, have you have you been watching me for for some reason? Because I don't recognize you. You next door app says that you live in my neighborhood, and when it's something that to anybody else would probably be harmless and you don't really think about it at all. But me in a position of a woman being not as physically strong as this man, I have to see that as, is that, is that safe? Like I I have to at least question it.
1: So the, the two areas that you've both brought up are kind of the physical safety awareness, uh, almost an awareness of vulnerability and danger,
2: Mm-hmm. And yeah, and that's something that I mean I can say like totally agree with everything she's saying, and it hadn't even occurred to me to say that because I'm so used to it. <laughs> if that right. makes sense, yeah, it does. yeah, it's just it's the normal for for us. Yeah, Sorry to I interrupt see. you, but
1: no, yeah. and, then, yeah. and then on the other side, it's more of the emotional not being seen. You said invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, the, do you? So how? Because I, I feel like that one a guy could also feel. So these are specific women issues, ways that they feel invisible. And you, you mentioned just doing a lot that is just assumed you will do. Is that, Mm -hmm. is that kind of where it's coming from? There's, yeah,
2: it's just, there's an assumption that, that, that we will do it. Um, That, you know, that, that, Sam am having a hard time forming words here right now but um
3: you know do you feel Kristen do you feel in general that the tasks that don't get like verbally mentioned do you feel obligated to take up the things that nobody else is talking about but you know are essential to everybody else's life running smoothly because that's pretty much the story of my daily life
2: yes yes and it's this idea also where tasks that we do that are normal for us to do like Holding the laundry or getting the kids off to school or doing anything like that. We don't get a pat on the back every time it gets done. But if a man does those things, it's mm-hmm. this whole like, Oh my gosh, you're he does the laundry. Oh wow. You did the dishes. Oh gosh. This is so thank you. And it's like, Oh my gosh, like it's, that's, it's, it's just sort of, it's an unspoken thing that we will do it. But if a man right. does it, it's, they get, they get a parade
3: yeah i uh I put a post on Facebook this was several years ago um <clears throat> when i was I was taking a routine like maybe every other Saturday and I had two kids at the house. I would take a routine every other Saturday to get out be by myself i'd go to the library get myself a cup of coffee, and just spend like six hours out of the house mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so my husband would have um you know the house to himself with our two kids. And I, I put something up on Facebook that said, you know, it's mom's day off. If you need something, ask someone else. And <laughs> my husband's grandmother, who is 80 years old or something like that, and, and she went, You have an amazing husband. Like that is amazing. <laughs> and and I went, Really? Because I do that every day being at home with two kids by myself. Like that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because the, his other grandmother uh said something to me not long after it seemed like every other grandkid had had a baby relatively recently and she's sitting in this family gathering and she's watching her grandsons be such loving and devoted attached fathers to their children and she said I raised 5 kids and I don't and she loved this man was married to him for his yeah. whole life you know has nothing bad to say about him she said I raised 5 kids and I don't think John ever once changed a diaper And I said, well, how did that make you feel? And she said, I didn't even think anything of it. It just wasn't expected. It really wasn't even expected. And so this idea of male privilege can be something that women don't even really perceive. It's just something Mm that we assume is something that we have to do. It's just the way things are.
1: Yeah. With that being said, how do you see it changing? Because I totally agree with stuff my mom would say, yeah, that's, that's my job to do that people wouldn't necessarily say as much today. Uh, I, I feel like there's a lot more husbands and wives that expect that a guy will change some diapers. Mm-hmm. So is it changing or is it the same?
2: Hmm. I mean, I think, I think it's collectively, I mean, as a society, we are moving in the right direction you know, when it comes to gender equality, racial equality, all of that. Are we there yet? No. Are we headed in that direction? Yes, I think we are. And that's why conversations like this are important. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's definitely improving, but there's a ways ways left to go. Um,
0: Hey, if I can uh, push the conversation into some uncomfortable territory, uh, can you... uh, uh, I, look, I'm a I'm a 60 year old uh, you know overweight white guy. <laughs> I am not um, anybody's sex object. I don't get I don't get objectified. I don't get hit on. I don't have to uh, uh, wonder whether anybody has designs upon my body. I imagine that that's not uh, always your experience. Oh uh, yeah. And, um, I, and also, uh, you know, after spending many years as an active sex addict, being really trained and conditioned by pornography and by the sex business to objectify women. Um, frankly, I mean, as awkward as it is to say, uh, you know, those are still impulses that I uh, have to face and uh deal with myself you know between my own ears Mm -hmm. to see the women around me as people Mm -hmm. and not just as bodies Mm
2: -hmm.
0: how aware are uh uh, uh, how much is that a factor for you when you're out in public or in social situations
2: i mean for me it's a it's a it's a big factor especially being a i'm sorry i've got a singing child up here hey (laughs) um when i when I perform it's big. Um, even just sometimes when I go out, if I, if I get dressed up and I feel really attractive, I feel like I look good, but there's always part of my head going, did it, do I look too good? Did mm-hmm. I go too far with this? Am I inviting something? Cause we're also fed this idea that if we dress a certain way, or if we look a certain way, then we could be asking for sexual assault or we could be asking mm-hmm. to be objectified. Um, I had a huge fight, a huge fight with a guy that I was dating several years ago, who there was a group of girls that came out of a restaurant that we were just eating at with his family. And, um, these girls were all young. They were 18 to 20, maybe. And they were wearing these cute little dresses and they looked adorable. And his dad started objectifying them like verbally to him, in which case he kind of got uncomfortable and shut up, but didn't say anything. I got, I got very upset. Yeah. Um, and his defense was, that's just how men think. They can't help it. That's just how it is. Uh, I think he said, and my dad, all the difference between my dad and the rest of the guys is, my dad just says what every other man thinks. And that's the, that's the only difference. And I kind of admire him for it. And I think that's poison thinking, Yeah, honestly, because it's saying basically that men are slaves to that. And frankly, I think I think that they're capable of more. Um, but, but yeah, it absolutely comes up for me, you know, almost any time I leave the house in my mind, somehow wondering if I'm being objectified by somebody.
1: I had an interesting conversation with a, a woman that was singing with me at a winery about a month ago. Uh, one of my sons came in with some friends after we were done and I was holding a glass of wine and these friends had all gone to a camp that I was the Bible teacher at. And one of them was clearly uncomfortable being in a wine bar and seeing a Bible man, Aaron, with a glass of wine. And I kept, I kept noticing him glancing down at the wine, even <laughs> as he was talking. And I, I asked the woman I was singing with. I said, "Man, just it that must be what it feels like to have guys checking you out. That you notice they're checking you out, but they might not know that you're catching them doing it. Is that? Oh,
3: you guys all think we can't see you." <laughs>
1: Yeah, so, so please explain this to us so that all the guys know that they've been caught. Yeah. That, that's an important thing.
3: Um, I don't know. It's one of those things that, do I confront it? Do I say something back? When I'm out in public, I'm almost always with my husband. So I'm already seen as like, I belong to this other person. Um, but as far as like, when I see somebody checking me out, uh, I guess, I don't know if it's my age or not, but I, I'm just at the point where I just let it go. And as long as I'm not in the middle of talking to somebody, like if I'm looking at your eyes and your eyes are going South, I may, you know, I'm up here, but that, that hasn't happened to me in a long time, probably because I, I, I intentionally don't dress a certain way Partly because I chase three kids around all day. Yeah. Partly because I want to be physically comfortable. Like I just don't want to have to have those concerns when I'm out and about, I have enough to worry about.
1: I'm mm-hmm. going so to ask a question that's, that's a risky for me for this conversation. So, so be nice.
2: Do
1: it. Uh, Kristen, you're talking about, you get dressed up, you're, you're looking good. And and mm-hmm. the purpose is because you want to look good. You want to feel mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. And then guys thinking, oh, she looks good. Like what's, where's the line where that's not appropriate? You, you said you guys, you want to call guys to be more. So where's the line where it's like, yeah, of course, I'm sure other women think you look good too. There's there's yes. a certain, just like, that's fine. There's,
2: there's something to be said about acknowledging that somebody looks good or even saying that somebody looks sexy. I've, I've got guy friends that'll tell me you look sexy and it's not, I take that as a compliment. Thank you. But it's, it's the difference. They're seeing me as a human being and they're seeing me as a friend. And I can't, I can't, I can, I'm an, I'm an empath. I think I might've shared that on the last thing. So I can kind of pick up on a lot of things that people are thinking and feeling. And you can kind of tell when somebody has gone somewhere in sexual fantasy in their head, Mm -hmm. if they're talking to you or looking at you and you've ceased to become a person and you are now an object, um, there's a difference. There's a difference between recognizing somebody as a human being looks good and must feel good and they're glowing and they look awesome. That's great. And I, I, I definitely can recognize when women and men are in that element. And there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that. But it's, it's, there's a line between, like, like my dad said, seeing somebody as a human being and seeing somebody as a sex object.
3: Yeah, the, um, the thing that comes to mind is when a, one of the people that I follow... Um, one of the social media figures, his name is James fell, and he's a health and wellness expert, personal trainer, weight loss kind of guy. And he's in really good shape because he works out regularly. And he, as a white male has certain standards that he appreciates in another woman, but he can't really say very much about this other woman. Who's not his wife, Mm -hmm. uh, because it's always going to be taken as I am objectifying you, especially if it's somebody that you don't know Mm -hmm. compliments about your appearance and you look sexy, you look happy, you're glowing. I think those comments really kind of need to be kept within people that we're in relationship with. Mm -hmm. And, and at the same time, he had this experience at a bar where, you know, this, this guy who works out, he's got like biceps and whatever. He's at a bar with his wife and some lady up next to him looks at his arm and she goes, she like touches his arm like gives it a little squeeze. And she goes, nice. (laughs) And part of that is like, okay, the stranger touched me and it was maybe a little bit uncomfortable, but that is not in any way the same as if I, this white male bodybuilder made the same kind of compliment against this, uh, not against, but a compliment to this woman, because there's just not the same power dynamic currently. Uh, So I, I personally try to keep comments about other people's appearances, especially people of the opposite sex, like, Hey, you look nice today. Um, it's always people that are in relation that I'm in relation with people I'm friends with. I try not to really say it to people that are in public that I don't know.
1: So
0: that's, that's a really
1: interesting and important point. Um, it's a double standard, but some double standards are legitimate where Mm -hmm. I don't know many guys that if a stranger walked up to them and was like, dude, you you're rocking you look. they'd be like thank you very much like nothing but good feelings about that Mm -hmm. and so maybe guys need to recognize that that is not anything like how a woman would feel if a stranger came up and said the same thing and so we we can't apply our experience to a woman's experience in that way exactly yeah yeah okay good that was that was important Good. And I mean, and
2: and yeah, and a lot of that, too, is what she said, talk about when we, she talked about risk management, you know, we're going to be, um, you know, there's more of a chance of us feeling physically threatened by a
1: uh-huh. male. Yeah. Especially an assertive stranger who's mm-hmm. making personal statements. That's yes. that, That's yes. all kinds of what, where do you think this is going? Okay. So we've got now the physical danger, the uh, objectification, and I, I want to go back to the first thing real quick uh, about feeling invisible, not being uh, applauded for things that guys get applauded for what so it is what it is, so how can guys do better? Is it just more acknowledgement is it more what what can guys do about that
2: I mean I think it can be more acknowledgement and them just doing more and also not sort of, maybe if somebody says, Oh my gosh, you're so great. Wow. You have an amazing, you know, husband who does all this for you. Maybe the husband steps in and says, well, she does it every day. So maybe it's the, you know, it's, it's the acknowledgement too. When the compliment, when the huge compliment comes to them, they sort of turn the compliment back around to include their partner, to include women. Right. Um, and then, and also just sort of normalizing, I think men pitching in more and doing mm-hmm. more um, would go a long way.
1: Okay. And yeah, so I think that's something guys can do and sucking up their own. Cause this goes back to that defensiveness. If a guy's thinking, oh, I'm supposed to acknowledge all of that. Well, here's all the stuff I don't get acknowledged for. <laughs>
2: yeah. And, yeah.
1: And then pulling that back and saying, wait, that's not what this is about. This is about what is, what is her need? And how can I support her as a person?
3: Right. Um, Um, I think in this day and age where everybody's kind of bringing their own levels and experiences of victimhood status to the public square, it's important to say it's women's turn right now. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not that we're negating that men have been mistreated or men have been raped or men have been underappreciated or any of that. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. I think what women want in this time where we're working out what it means to have male privilege and even ways where women don't even acknowledge it ourselves is we we can't look at men and say, shut up, sit down, you don't matter and your experiences don't matter because that's what's been told to us for hundreds of years. Yeah. So what we need to do as women is to explain gently, like it's not that we're negating your experience. It's that we're just taking time to unload our own and explain how they're different from yours.
1: Mm -hmm. So what else would you like men to understand about their wives, their mothers, their friends?
3: (laughs) I think that depends on the men that are in your life and who you are. Uh, I think the older I get the less I want to make broad generalizations about what women want and I want to take time to say, here's what I would want. Yeah. Uh, I know in my own marriage, my husband and I have talked about needing to have explicitly clear communication. And part of that is because I grew up in a family culture that was not very valuing of direct conflict solving you, you know like there was always these unspoken expectations and therefore you have these unmet needs and feelings that don't get acknowledged and struggles that don't get dealt with and that's because we didn't talk about it and now i'm married to a man who is almost obsessive about communicating <laughs>
1: <a> certain <laughs>
3: and and so i've gotten better about speaking up but i've also had to work with him on okay this is how you need to listen to me now and take what i'm saying not as an affront not as an indictment of you as a person, but I'm just I'm just telling you how I feel, and really I just need you to listen. I don't need you to fix it. Um, so, and I think that's something that gets echoed with a lot of women is we get these uh, the, these struggles that are going on, and maybe we don't necessarily need our husbands or our friends to fix it. We just need someone to hear us yeah. and to say, "Yeah, gosh, that was hard. I'm sorry. Like, can I? What can I do to help?" Instead of telling you like just turn that frown upside down and change your perspective and um Ooh, don't get that's... me wrong i could certainly use of <coughs> positive perspective regularly that's, that's something that i struggle with but when the only answer that we get is you just need to look at how good you have it all that does is negate the struggles that we're having and it doesn't actually address them it just tells us well you know just shut up and be grateful that it's not worse
1: that's a it's a great practical piece of advice though that i i certainly think i overlook and that's asking uh how we can help asking how we should enter into that conversation instead of assuming right you know assuming Mm -hmm. here's the solution here's uh, i've already got it figured out Mm -hmm. that's clearly what you came to came for (laughs) i'm hoping for business
3: yep just ask if you're not sure just ask (laughs)
1: yeah. <laughs> or if you think you're sure, just ask. <laughs>
3: yeah. You should ask anyway. Double check.
1: What else for you, Kristen?
2: Um, I mean, that that's a big one that she mentioned for sure. The sort of the, the savior complex, you know, I want to call it. Um, also, um, this sort of, uh, I feel like sometimes as women, we feel this need to constantly explain ourselves um, or justify even apologize everything. for ourselves, justify everything, you know, Absolutely. be like, well, I'm not going to do this because, and then we have to feel like, and I've even seen my mother do this when she, she will help me problem solve. And she'll be like, well, you just need to tell them that you've got this and this and this, and or you can use me as an excuse or blah, blah, blah. And I've gotten to the point where I'm like, you know what? No, I'm just going to say no. And I'm mm-hmm. not going to explain myself a million different ways up and down, but that is sort of what I feel a lot of us women are conditioned to do, is to apologize for ourselves when we speak up or when we disagree with somebody, it's particularly men. Um, if we feel like we have a different perspective or a different answer, a lot of times the first thing we'll say is, I'm sorry, but... Or mm-hmm. or we'll downplay our own, like, this is just this is just, you know, this is just me throwing something out there, but you know, and just to try and sugarcoat it as much as possible. So maybe My opinion doesn't maybe matter. our void. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or I'm even I've been in scenarios, <laughs> yeah, just just throwing it out there and really, you know, we've got this, we've got input that could be very valuable, but a lot of times it gets, you know, kind of thrown under. And in order to make ourselves heard, sometimes we'll feel like we have to sort of meekly put it in there or apologize for it. Or even sometimes I've seen it trick the men into thinking it was their idea.
3: Oh, old strategy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, no, oh God, no, that, that was never a happens. great idea. <laughs>
0: that never um, happened.
1: So tell me, yeah. tell me more of where that comes from because I, I know a woman that is an apology addict in recovery right now.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So, so now she apologizes for apologizing constantly. <laughs> uh, and as she and I have talked about it, like, I, I really don't get it. I don't understand why she starts with so many apologies. So where does that come from?
2: I mean, it comes from basically, it's, it's this sort of belief that you don't have anything valuable to offer. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, for you to speak your needs or speak your opinion, it's it's fear that you're going to get you know, a negative consequence for speaking up. And so you start out with an apology right away. And I'm speaking from my opinion. I don't know about your friend. I don't know, your friend, but for me, it's been, um, you know, sort of starting it out as apology is kind of like, you know, this prepping of the, you know, so maybe they won't get upset with me, or maybe they won't get mad at me, or maybe I won't be in trouble for, for this. Um, or maybe it'll be heard. And so it's, it's really, it comes from this point of view of really intrinsically believing that, that you're wrong and you're not as valuable. And so you're almost apologizing for your existence in a way.
3: I don't know if, Kristen, you struggle with imposter syndrome quite as much as I do. Just this feeling that you are constantly unqualified to give your opinion. Yes. And part of that is because I don't have a fancy degree. I don't have a lengthy, impressive resume. I'm a stay-at-home mom who has a habitual overcommitting problem. (laughs) We sound very similar also a voracious reader and communicator with people. And so when I have something to contribute or when I have an opinion to share, I constantly feel as though I am not qualified to give this opinion because Mm -hmm. I don't have a master's thesis on this subject.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: And I don't, really think, as far as I understand it, I don't think men struggle with feeling like I shouldn't share my opinion if I'm not a qualified, professional, educated person in this field. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Nate and Aaron, but men don't seem to have any fear in sharing opinions on things that they just don't understand or know or don't have any experience in. Um, to, To bring out the M word, which is mansplaining, I had a man tell me what my labor pains felt like, to my face, told me what my pain felt like in the different stages <laughs> of my labor. A man, a man. <laughs> and I, gotcha. I, I hate to think that there are men running around the world <laughs> thinking that they can just splay their opinions on things without really like understanding them or being educated in them, let alone talking about something that he literally has never experienced and never will. And as a woman, I constantly feel apologetic about things that I have read about, things that I have tried very hard to understand. And I constantly feel underqualified to talk about those. And yet there's this man who's trying to tell me what my labor pain felt yep. like.
1: So do you think that came from uh s- did that come from specific things that happened throughout your life, or did it just come with the woman package?
3: Um, probably both. I grew up in a family that r- repeatedly told me that if I if I had feelings, they were wrong, and if they weren't wrong, then they didn't matter. <clears throat> that my perceptions were often twisted and oh, well you just don't know as much as I do because I you're a kid and I'm an adult and that is true to a certain extent, but it was to the degree that I pretty much constantly questioned my own perceptions and understandings of things. And now that I'm almost 30, I'm finally starting to trust my own intuition and speak up when I have things to contribute, but also on the same side of the sword, you have to be willing to say, Oh, okay, well I was wrong. And not take it as an affront to my identity. Um, and that's something that I think everybody has to walk. But, uh, as far as like, was it a, was it a female thing? I know I was definitely told multiple times that I was bossy, that when mm-hmm. I, when I t- tried to wrangle group projects, which I've always hated group projects for this reason, when I see clear direction and I say, let's go this way, I was told that I was bossy when really I just saw that there was nobody stepping into leadership and that needed to happen. Yeah. Whereas I don't think boys are generally told, don't be bossy women are told that they need to take a back seat and let the leaders run things. But when a woman steps into leadership, she gets told that she's bossy and that kind of plays into the whole concept of doubting your judgment and doubting your qualifications to speak on things.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's that whole, uh, a man is just a strong leader and a woman's a bitch that whole. Yeah.
2: Paradigm. Yep. Well, we are.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's hard. I, I can, uh, it seems like that might be harder in America where we haven't had as much female leadership. I mean, England has had, you know, female prime ministers and a lot of
3: other uh, countries had.
1: Yeah. So I think maybe we're behind the curve on that a little bit, feeling comfortable with women leaders. What do you think?
2: Yeah. Uh, I would say, I would love to see more, more women leaders, qualified women leaders, obviously not just, you know, somebody with the, Right with the parts, but and and the thing is that they really they really are, I think that we're headed that direction. I think with this next, I mean, i' I know I've seen here in the local elections here in Murray County, Tennessee, where I live, a number of women ran um, just here for local offices, and not all of them won, but several of them did. And it's pretty exciting, especially because this has been such a conservative area to see to see that tide sort of starting to change. So I do have, I do have faith that we're getting there. Um, so I don't want to be just like bitching about it, so, but it does require, as far as the women leaders, it, it just, it not only requires a change in mindset, but it requires women to get out and vote. Right. Really. And to run, um, and to step up and for, and a part, a lot of this is us sort of shedding that apology mentality and just saying, well, that's too bad. Uh, this is what we're doing, and we're going to do it. And you know, we've got the numbers, <laughs> so it can be done. I don't believe it.
1: So a lot of this conversation seems like men just need to be more aware and offer invitations into things, uh, because some of what you both have explained, I'm, I, I'm thinking, nah, no, I, I don't feel like that. Or Christy, even the way you described yourself. Totally made me sad, the whole imposter stuff you were talking about, because that's not how I see you at all. But what's required is me to understand that and then to invite you in uh, to give those opinions and to have those thoughts.
3: And yet when you do that at church, I feel incredibly scared and unqualified to contribute. (laughs) (laughs) You have invited me and I thank you so heartedly or saying, "Hey, Krista, what do you think about this?" And it's always this super touchy topic that I'm afraid to wade into in the public sphere. Um, and, okay. and that's been good for me, but it is also terrifying.
1: <laughs> okay, so you're not telling me to stop inviting you.
3: No, not okay. telling you right, stop. Just... I'm saying I I might need to wade around and with knee deep for a bit, and uh, and maybe one day I'll I'll share my my thoughts unapologetically. <laughs> <laughs> Thank well, you for being a part of that.
1: Oh, it is my honor. Well, Nate, as we're getting close to needing to wrap this segment up, do you have any other questions or thoughts you want to throw out there? Because, you know, you've been so boisterous up until now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I've i just recently become uh, aware of how... Um, Yeah, how how sexist I really am. Um, you know, I think I've told uh, the audience this before that you know my wife has said that what has wounded her most deeply during our years of marriage was not even my sexual betrayal, my unfaithfulness, so much as the condescending way that I have treated her. Just this, just kind of this, uh, and, and. um, that saddens me. And also as I have walked, you know, started to walk away from that, uh, conviction of superiority and sought my wife's advice and listened. Uh, I've got to admit, uh, the decisions that we've made together have tended to be better than the ones I made just on my own. Um, and I'm sad that, uh, I was given a a picture of the family, a version of the family in the church that I was raised in that, um, in its, you know, its definition of roles, uh, led me to believe that I was going to be the smartest guy in the family and that I should just go ahead and make all the decisions. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it, uh, that, that turned out not to be good advice. I don't even think it's sound biblical advice, but uh, that was the perspective we had and uh, so anyway i i uh, I really want to uh, see and value the women around me, my wife, my daughter, my daughters in law uh, and the women that I encounter every day in church and in the public square as uh, as my equals, those fellow believers as uh, you know sisters in Christ, uh, and uh, I'd like to become a little bit less of an arrogant asshole
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there there are twelve steps for that, and that's got to be step one.
3: <laughs> we should all aspire to be less of an arrogant asshole which is the universal human goal i think so yes (laughs) Uh,
1: oh see that's nice we've ended on the common the common ground
3: (laughs) we really have to we have to to have these discussions i think when we have these such polarized spaces as we do now the only thing left once we've aired all of our grievances and we've gotten it all out there and we say, this is my experience and this is how I think it can be made better. We tend to take it as an affront to our identity. You know, Mm -hmm. men talk about, they hear male privilege and they think it must be because I'm a bad person or I've Mm -hmm. I've done something bad. And Mm -hmm. white people, me included, it took me a long time to unpack white privilege for myself as well. You hear white privilege and you think, but I don't hate black people. And it becomes something that's about me. And you can have that conversation for polar differences on every topic you can imagine. And the only way that we can conclude these conversations with, is with saying, okay, what do we as a human race want? What kind of world do we want to live in? What kind of people do we want to be? And how do we support each other in that? And if we verbalize it by saying, I don't want to be a, an unrighteous asshole, that's, that's something I'm behind. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed.
1: Krista, Kristen, thank you for your insight and being patient with us. And being patient with all the other men that you come in <laughs> contact with.
2: I think Pres- we call that we call that emotional labor, and you're welcome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you exactly how that feels. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. Well Thanks, okay.
3: everybody, this was wonderful. Oh yes. it was great.
1: Thanks, guys. And we will be right back on the pirate monk podcast.
0: We are back on the Pirate Monk podcast, and my lawn guy is back on the Pirate Monk podcast. Uh, how he times uh, his appearance with the recording of these episodes, I, I don't know. But here we go. Anyway,
1: I apologize. What you you must have some power uh, over a person you're employing to say, "Can you please not come at this time?" No, no,
0: I don't. In Franklin, Tennessee, this is. I had to. I had to. <laughs> two other lod- got- lawn guys turned me down. This is the one guy who's willing to mow my lawn. What?
1: What's, I mean, you're, you live on a flat property. I don't see any, you know, but what's the problem?
0: Oh, well, it's not a very big lawn. It has tons of obstacles in it. And so, it, 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 and I got this fence that you got to squeeze through. And then there's lots of weed whacking and, and uh, you know, the guys want volume. They want to go out. And, I live in Franklin, Tennessee. There's people who have acres to mow. Um, my 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 lawn's just a pain in the neck, so so I really I have to coddle this guy. He comes when he comes. It's kind of like a plumber.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, uh, there it is. Lawn there man is, is outside. <laughs> Good conversation with Krista and Kristen. That was a yeah. re- that was a brain mess for me having a Krista and a Kristen together. I didn't didn't realize how confused I would get uh, <laughs> when addressing them. I feel bad.
0: I know, but they are uh, intelligent and impressive women, both of them. And uh, and, you know, I've really seen, you know, my daughters uh, blossoming in the last, I guess, in the last decade, really become more and more comfortable with saying the truth as she sees it. Um, And so, yeah, it's helpful. It isn't always comfortable. Uh, And by the way, I think that what we're doing right here, this is, by the way, a good Samson thing. Christians aren't generally known for their willingness or ability to listen without coming back with some kind of a biblical argument or a mandate or a solution or something. Uh, What we're doing on these episodes is just listening. And that's just a really good thing.
1: It's good practice. Well, did you have any takeaways that you feel you want to apply to your life after uh, that conversation?
0: I don't feel like I got new information in this because this is a conversation that's been ongoing in our family, but I've got a great forgetter. Uh, so for me, this was a very valuable reminder and it will have an effect on the way I interact with Allie throughout the rest of this day and with uh, the other women I encounter.
1: Unless
0: that woman is riding a lawnmower,
1: <laughs> then it's just pure misogyny. You're saying, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, well, for me, I think the 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 good reminder is when I am interacting with a woman to remember she is experiencing the world differently than me, and yeah. that's so hard for me to remember about other people in general, not just women, but uh, you know hearing them talk about such constant, uh, issues of safety and vulnerability. And yeah. 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 You, yeah. I don't feel that at all. So, uh, yeah, I think that is, that's a good reminder for me. And I think that can help shape better interactions. All right. So we would love to okay. hear if you have any other questions. Uh, let sure. Us yeah. Yeah. yeah send us an comments. email.
0: Send us an email at pirate monk podcast at gmail.com. And by the way, if you want to support this podcast, Samson House, the work of the Samson Society, you can always do so by going to the SamsonSociety.com website and hitting that donate button at the upper right corner of the main page. Well, until next week, uh, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we're your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast.